From the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, IFAS, Histology and Manifestations, Part 1. It is, to our knowledge, the first report showing a correlation between the use of cancellosin and the morphologic decrease in the thickness of the iris smooth dilator muscle. First this. I had the opportunity to speak with Jay McDonald, the editor of ASCRS's Internet Forums, about membership in the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. The benefits of membership will have an immediate and tangible influence on your own practice. Stay tuned at the end of this podcast to find out how. Times have changed. Now, even in the politest company, you can hear someone using the F word. I refer, of course, to Flomax and to its unfortunate manifestations, the collection of which we call IFIS, or intraoperative floppy iris syndrome. Terry Kim has just published a detailed study of the histology and clinical manifestations of IFIS. The interview was sufficiently long to warrant dividing into two parts. We'll hear part one today. How does tamulosin work therapeutically for BPH? As you know, tamsulosin uh, right now is currently the most commonly prescribed alpha receptor blocker uh, for patients who have benign prosthetic hypertrophy or BPH. And uh, basically, the way uh, that the medication works is tamsulosin, otherwise uh, commercially known as Flomax, it's, it's a systemic uh, sympathetic alpha-1A receptor blocker. And uh, what this medication uh, is labeled uh, to do is improve uh, lower, uh, lower urinary tract uh, outflow by relaxing uh, bladder neck and prostatic smooth muscle. And that's, um, and that's basically how it's supposed to work for BPH. David Chang did an interview on, as seen from here, on IFIS in 2007, but that's at this point quite some time ago. Can I get you to review the clinical features of IFIS? Sure. You know, uh, you mentioned David Chang, and obviously him and um, uh, John Campbell published the first seminal paper describing uh, what's now known as IFIS or commonly known as floppy iris syndrome, IFIS, intraoperative floppy iris syndrome. And they published that in uh, Journal of Cataract and Fractive Surgery in 2005. And really, the, the classic triad uh, that they described from that original paper still stands today. And that basically uh, is essentially, number one, uh, flaccid iris stroma that tends to undulate or billow uh, during uh, the cataract surgery procedure. Um, number two, um, a progressive intraoperative uh, constriction of the pupil during surgery. And uh, lastly, uh, the third part of triad consists of uh, uh, an increased propensity for that floppy abnormal iris stroma to prolapse uh, into the incisions made during cataract surgery, whether that's the main uh, clear corner incision or the paracentesis incision. Terry, what mechanism produces IFIS? Well, that's, uh, I think, 
kind of a loaded question uh, in that we we have some ideas as to the potential mechanisms uh, of IFIS, and that uh, is one of the reasons why we uh, you know pursued uh, our study. Uh, but basically. Uh, alpha one, these alpha one adrenergic uh, receptor uh, blockers, uh, such as tantalism. Tantalism has to be one, uh, happens to be one specific one. Supposedly, competitively inhibits uh, the sympathetic autonomic nervous system, and that results in the effects that we just talked about in the smooth uh, muscles of the bladder, neck, and, and the prostate. Um, now, what's interesting is that we don't know too much about receptor subtypes in the human iris smooth muscle or iris smooth dilator muscle. Now, we do know that at least three alpha-1 receptor subtypes have been identified, you know, using a variety of uh, techniques, binding and molecular cloning techniques, and and those are the alpha-1A, alpha-1B, and alpha-1D. And the distribution uh, of these different uh, receptor subtypes in the humans really varies depending on the organ that that you look at. it is uh, it has been described that about 70% of these alpha-1 receptors uh, in the human prostate, for example, are of the uh, alpha-1A subtype. And, you know, some animal and in vitro data has shown uh, that uh, tantalism has a much higher uh, affinity for the alpha-1A versus the alpha-1B uh, receptors. So, basically... Um, what we think is happening, in addition to tantalosin blocking these alpha-1A receptors in the prostate, uh, we think they are also selectively blocking those same receptors in the iris dilator muscle, uh, which presumably is, is where the same receptor subtype dominates. Uh, and because of that blockage, uh, we think there are a number of mechanisms that may be involved. One is decreased smooth muscle tone. Uh, and also what's described as kind of because of that chronic blockage, a disuse atrophy of the iris uh, smooth dilator muscle. And this uh, is uh, potentially responsible for not only causing the triad of uh, clinical findings that, that, that we just described for IFIS, but also poor pupillary dilation in patients. And so, basically, this normal smooth muscle tone may be necessary for normal iris to have its rigidity, but but when you now have atrophy of that muscle, it could cause this abnormal behavior that we just described. And that is one of the mechanisms that that have been described for IFIS. Prior to your study, had any histological studies been performed? To my knowledge, no histological studies have been performed. There, There have been a couple of studies that have looked uh, at the iris tissue with respect to potentially um, examining the reasons why IFIS occurs in patients uh, uh, who take tamsulosin. Uh, one was a German study, to my knowledge, which was not or still has not been published, um, but was presented in 2006 um, in, in one of the meetings in, in Berlin, Germany, and the author of that was Reichenberger. And this study basically used optical coherence uh, tomography, or OCT, to measure the cross-sectional iris thickness in patients taking tamsulosin before cataract surgery. Uh, and they control and they compared this to a number of control eyes, and this is all done by uh, a masked examiner. 
And uh, what they found was that the total iris thickness was reduced in patients taking tamsulosin compared to those that, that were not. Um, and again, this is uh, an OCT study. There was also uh, more recently um, a study done also using OCT, and this is uh, a prospective study by uh, Prata, P-R-A-T-A et al., that that used spectral domain uh, OCT or SDOCT, looking at the iris thickness in in human patients treated with um, systemic alpha-1 adrenergic receptor antagonists uh, and compared that to age-matched controls. Um, and basically, they did find a dose-dependent thinning of the mid-peripheral iris uh, and the and as well as a smaller pupil diameter in this treated group. So those are the only studies that I know of that have actually attempted to look at gross anatomical features of the iris and correlate that with potential uh, findings in IFAS. To my knowledge, um, our study that uh, is currently, I guess it's e-published, but it's uh, currently in press and slated to be published in September uh, of the Ophthalmology Journal, is uh, the first study to our knowledge showing, uh, well, the first study, histopathologic study, showing the potential um, effects of tamsulosin on the human iris dilator, dilator muscle anatomy. And it is, to our knowledge, the first report showing a correlation between the use of tamsulosin uh, and the morphologic decrease in the thickness of the iris smooth dilator muscle in human uh, autopsy eyes. And this is uh, via light uh, microscopy. Terry, can I get you to describe the design of your study and its outcome measures? Sure. You know, and I I really want to take the opportunity to thank uh, my co-authors and uh, collaborators in this study, Um, and that includes uh, Drs. uh, John DiStefano, Alan Poya, David Chang, who, as you know, was uh, one of the first to describe this uh, syndrome clinically, and Ricardo Santaya, as well as Sandra Snett for her statistical uh, analysis of our data and Alan Ployer, who was our ophthalmic pathologist. And I commend all our, our co-workers here in terms of um, gathering this data. This was a, a retrospective case control study. And what we wanted to do is we wanted to look at human autopsy eyes uh, of patients who have been treated with tamsulosin as well as a group of control patients to see whether we would find any difference in the human iris dilator muscle anatomy histopathologically between the two groups. So what we did was we obtained uh, patients' records, and this study basically comprised of 51 human cadaveric eyes from 27 patients, and 14 had a history of tamsulosin use, and, and 13 served as control patients. Uh, and these are all patients that underwent autopsy at, at the Duke Medical Center. Uh, and the records were reviewed uh, to look at age, um, their medical, surgical, and ocular history, their gender, their systemic, and any ocular medications, and the duration and dosage of tamsulosin uh, as well. And what we did was take these eyes and prepared histopathologic specimens where we sectioned these specimens through the pupillary axis in the horizontal meridian, uh, and we reviewed these by light microscopy. And we basically performed uh, what's called a morphometric analysis, uh, where we actually took a special micrometer, ocular micrometer, and measured the maximum and minimum thickness of the iris dilator muscle, as well as the iris stromal thickness at six points uh, in each of the eyes. 
And these were all evaluations and measurements that were performed by the same mast uh, observer. And basically, our measure was to determine, again, was there a significant difference that we would be able to see in the thickness of the either the iris dilator muscle or the iris stroma in those patients that were taking cancellosin versus those uh, that were not. So what did you find? What were your results? Well, you know, it was very interesting. Um, you know, in our initial pilot study, where we really didn't have um, a good control and it was a very preliminary study, uh, just looking at initially, uh, we didn't uh, actually find a difference in thickness. However, uh, actually, uh, by the encouragement of other investigators and from other journal reviews, we uh, were encouraged to increase uh, the sampling group and to take additional measurements, uh, as I mentioned, uh, maximum and minimum uh, dilator muscle thickness and stromal, stromal thickness measurements, which we had not done before. Uh, and basically, what we did find was that the mean or average thickness of the iris smooth dilator muscle in the tamsulosin treated group was thinner compared to that of the control group. Um, and to give you an idea how much, uh, it was about 6.53 microns um, was the measurement of the average thickness uh, of the dilator muscle in the tamsulosin-treated group compared to 8.5 microns in the control group, and that was statistically significant uh, with a p-value of 0 0.006. Now, we didn't see a difference in the iristromal thickness between the two, two groups. In addition, we, we were not able to find any direct relationship between the duration of the tamsulosin use um, and iris dilator muscle or stromal thickness. And this, this statistical significant difference, however, between the two groups in terms of the uh, iris dilator muscle thickness, uh, this difference was maintained when we, when we compared the groups um, using a history of diabetes and cataract surgery as separate variables. variables. It's interesting that you didn't find a correlation between the duration of treatment and the dilator muscle thickness because, of course, clinically, IFIS can be observed in patients who've only been on tamsulosin for a short time, too. That's exactly right. Uh, that has definitely uh, been described um, in previous reports where patients uh, taking tamsulosin uh, sometimes for as short as uh, one or two days um, have reported clinical findings exhibiting uh, interoperative floppy iris syndrome. So uh, I agree with you uh, that, and, and if you look at the literature, there's uh, a group, uh, Shaw, that published a case of IFIS occurring only two days after tamsulosin was started, um, and another group that, uh, that reported IFIS only after two weeks of tamsulosin use. So the effect can occur fairly quickly. In addition, the effect seems to potentially continue even after tamsulosin is discontinued. Now, you mentioned earlier the idea of disuse atrophy. Let me ask you what you think might be causing thinning uh, in, in these patients. Well, you know, anytime um, you have receptor blockade uh, in terms of innervation to a specific muscle, uh, you can have muscle atrophy, and that's what we're referring to as the potential mechanism here. Uh, so based on some of the pharmacologic studies uh, that have been done and, and, basic, and some of the other basic studies that have been shown to look at the behavior of tamsulosin uh, as a uh, drug, it's interesting uh, that, for instance, the, the serum half-life of tamsulosin is approximately 48 to 72 hours. Um, and 
you would think that um, by stopping it, you would you would not have the effects. However, we have seen IFIS uh, exhibited in patients who have stopped tamsulosin for for more than a year, and so basically, when you're when you're thinking about that and and why this occurs, um, we think that this blockage, chronic blockage, can last. Uh, there have been interesting studies where uh, aqueous humor samples have been taken from patients who have stopped a drug for as long as uh, a month and it was still detectable uh, in the aqueous humor. So what this suggests is, is that we may see or what may exist is a very prolonged binding time of tamsulosin onto that receptor, thereby causing uh, this uh, muscle atrophy. And that's presumably uh, why we still see the effects of IFIS even after stopping uh, tamsulosin for a long period of time. Now, if you propose that disuse atrophy may be an etiology for the, this, this thinning, and since, as, as you just mentioned, IFIS is often seen clinically in patients who have discontinued tamsulosin for some time. And frankly, I know this from my own patients personally, too. Is right. there reason to believe that this disuse atrophy itself is irreversible? You know, uh, based on, I agree with you clinically, uh, Josh, I've, I've witnessed the same thing in my practice and others. Uh, there have been ASCRA surveys uh, or ASCRS surveys of members um, uh, expressing the same sentiment that uh, they still see IFIS to continue even after the uh, cessation of, of tamsulosin therapy. So that does lead me to believe uh, that once this blockage occurs, and of course we don't know what that critical time period is, what that dose and duration uh, of tamsulosin exposure is that causes this, but that there appears to be some irreversibility of this based on the, the clinical uh, data that we have uh, that it still occurs even if you stop the drug um, after a short period of time. So something about the exposure uh, of tamsulosin to these receptor uh, subtypes in the human dilator muscle uh, attributes uh, to perhaps prolonged binding that causes this disused atrophy that may in fact be irreversible. Terry Kim is professor of ophthalmology and specialist in cornea and refractive surgery at the Duke University Eye Center in Durham, North Carolina. His paper, The Effect of Alpha-1 Adrenergic Receptor Antagonist Tamsulosin, Flomax, on Iris Dilator Smooth Muscle Anatomy, appears in the May 2010 issue of Ophthalmology. Earlier, I had the chance to speak with Jay McDonald, editor of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery's Internet Forums, about the benefits of membership in the ASCRS. What are some of the benefits that ASCRS members enjoy? Well, I think the greatest uh, benefit is that you have this network of the top cataract and refractive surgeons uh, throughout the world, a network of people, publications, everything from... Uh, iWorld to the to the what I call the Orange Journal, which I think is the for me the leading source of peer review information that has to do with cataract and refractive surgery, and that's my focus. I can remember in those meet in the first few meetings I went to, just the list the networking and sitting in the room with peers and sharing information that was not that presented in the podium, but mostly an interchange uh, that happens in the hallway, and I would 
say that the uh, ASCRS is where I, the platform of friendships that I made in collegiality of being able to share not just uh, hot scientific topics, but a lot of practice management tips, sharing information about electronic medical records, how to uh, interview employees. I agree with you that, that the meeting's super, and I really look forward to it every year. Of course, the biggest problem with the meeting is is that it only happens once every year for the annual meeting. But you've sought a way to bring a lot of the meeting to us every day uh, through a forum uh, in the context of the Internet. Jay, I wonder if you can tell me about your role and about the iConnect project. I immediately became a contributor and a person that asked questions, shared information, thoughts, philosophies, and approaches to surgical cases. I was uh, asked by Priscilla Arnold when she was president if I would mind um, just sort of moderating and and editors what I'm called, but I'm not sure. Sure, that's what I, 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 nothing is ever edited that's put on there. It's a completely open forum. I've never edited something that someone has posted. What I have done over the years, I think, is formulating a direction for conversations and threads. If I go on the site, what are some of the things that I might see? Well, you might see how to handle uh, a a cataract uh, that has uh, half the zonules missing. Or how how would you uh, handle um, someone who uh, has a corneal injury, uh, and how would you estimate what power lens you might know? Uh, whether you use intracameral, what intracameral drugs are being used now, is a hot subject. Uh, what people are doing in their operating rooms as far as uh, uh, personnel and efficiency. Uh, the questions are just everything you can think of that comes up daily in your practice. It might even be uh, a discussion about uh, whether or not you dispense and how does one start a dispensary. I would say most questions are about some particular case that someone is having a problem with how to calculate a lens, a lens power. And the benefit is that you immediately have hundreds of consultants out there who there'll be six or eight or ten that have had that exact problem or have an answer for you. So you immediately get a response or answer of a problem that you need help on. The best part about that is that you don't just get usually one answer. You'll get several answers, and maybe that will stimulate another opinion. So in a way, you have a peer review, instant peer review, uh, case management form. In addition to that, we do have a refractive and a glaucoma, one that's purely uh, answers questions and answers that have to do with glaucoma. And then we have a business form where all kinds of business questions are asked and, uh, and discussed. This is a great member benefit. How would I get to this site? With the new format, all you have to do is go to the SCRS website and one of the Bars across the top, the far right one, I believe, says I Connect. And if you click on that, it will instruct you how to sign up for uh, the I Connect so you can immediately then be in, uh, be in the forum and be a part of the forum. There are hundreds of people looking in daily from all over the world, and these are people that are waiting to help you or are out there uh, gleaning that information. 
about a case you have or a problem you may have. Jay, thank you so much. Oh, thanks, Josh. Ask questions of Dr. Kim or any of our previous guests or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Write to me with your questions or comments at jyoungmd at gmail.com. As Seen From Here is a production of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.